Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hello, Doxadeo Hatfield. I am so excited to be sharing this word with you today. I am bursting at the seams. I really believe that God has got a word for each and every one of us in the season. Now, we are in the middle of our series, Rooted in Hope. And in this series, what we're doing is we're learning from a guy called Peter. We're learning from him what it means to live a life of impact in a world that is broken, that is in absolute disarray, and a world that may be antagonistic. Peter is one of 12 people. In fact, he is the leader of 12 men that Jesus Christ taught and brought together to start a spiritual revolution on earth. This spiritual revolution, Jesus referred to as the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, or put differently, God's will being impacted and fulfilled on earth. It is from this Peter that we are learning today, and what we're trying to hear and learn from Peter is how we today in 2020 could live lives of impact in a world of COVID-19. Now, we almost a hundred days in from when the first case of coronavirus was registered in South Africa. And now after a hundred days, many of us either know somebody that has contracted this virus. Maybe you know somebody that died from this virus. We're also running to the end of July now where many of the facilitations and help that came our way to not only protect our lives, but also protect our livelihoods is now running out. A lot of the bank facilitation, a lot of the government facilitation through the UIF and TIR schemes are running out. So the reality of what is COVID-19 seems to be dawning on all of us. And I believe that if we can learn something from Peter today, it would be to live lives of impact, even though we are in such a difficult, difficult situation. Now, Peter's context, as we know and as we've heard in the, in the previous few weekends, was that he was writing a letter to Christians that lived in the time of Nero. Now, Nero was a, an emperor, and he decided to persecute Christians. In the year 62 to 64 AD, he not only killed Christians, he burnt them alive, and they were scattered throughout Asia Minor. The persecution resulted in scattering, and what Nero wanted was that that scattering would result in an abrupt halt of Christianity. But to the contrary, Christianity did not die. In fact, the spark of this spiritual revolution, this death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was fanned into a fire that just took over the world. And Peter wrote a letter, he in fact wrote two letters to these Christians, rooting them in hope. And the result of that is now 2,000 years later, 
of the 8 billion people on earth, 2.3 billion people serve Christ. 1.9 billion people are Islam, 1.2 billion Hindu, and another 1.1 billion are secularists. There's something about the way that Jesus' followers deal with suffering and pain and trials that changed the world forever. There's something that I think that we can learn today about how, how Jesus follows, how we can suffer in this COVID-19 in a way that will reset a world that is broken and distraught into something of a new wave, a new flame, a new spiritual revolution. And today we are going to just focus on three verses out of 1 Peter. Three verses that help us to think about what this, what this something is that Jesus' followers have this something that learned to suffer well. And when I say learn to suffer well, I mean suffer in a way that doesn't take the pain away, but suffer in a way that lets good come from bad things. The three focus areas, the three points of departure that we're going to look at today is firstly, that we should expect suffering. And because in the Christian faith we know that suffering will come our way, Jesus gave us a framework through the words of Peter in his letter, a framework to suffer through. And if we understand that framework, and if we are able to implement that framework in our lives, that we know that there's a promise that good will come from all suffering. The first point then as we start our journey together, is that we will suffer. Now, this point is quite intuitive. All of us, in one way, shape, or form, either through this period of 100 days in 2020 or other times of our lives, we know that there's suffering in this world. We've, we've lived it, we felt it, we see it. There are usually two strands that will follow suffering. In my life, what I've experienced is, is sometimes suffering is just so intense and so severe that I am totally overwhelmed by the suffering. Being overwhelmed by suffering many times then incapacitate me. And sometimes in my life, I became the victim. Being overwhelmed by suffering resulting in being incapacitated and taking on this victim mentality. Other times in my life, I thank God for this. I wasn't overwhelmed by the suffering. However, I was activated through the suffering, and I was able to substitute this victim mentality for a victor mentality. But I have found in these past 100 days that something else happened in our home. It wasn't incapacitating, it wasn't necessarily activating, but it was hugely agitating. Now, just to put you in context of our, of our lives and our house, I've been home now for, for 90 days. Now, usually in a year, 
I would spend about 100 days of the 365 days in the year at home. The rest of the time, I would be traveling, I would be uh, working. And now to be part of our home, part of the, the, the family unit for 90 days on end, I know that I brought something different and something difficult into our house. I now realize that the, the temperature levels in our house seem to be rising. And it's not the temperature levels that you, that you can measure with a thermometer, maybe at the forehead or through the ear. It's temperature levels that you more measure by the decibel levels. I mean, something as stupid the other day, what happened was I got so irritated. I got so frustrated because the kids took my chips. Now, given that it's my chips, given that it's Simba, and given that it is smoked beef Simba, I mean, when I saw our son eating my Simba chips, I got so angry. And I realized that something was happening in my spirit, a way of of, of suffering or dealing with pain that I didn't really know how to handle. During that time, I read an article in the Harvard Business Review. Now, this article really caught my eye because it was it was entitled, That Discomfort You Are Feeling is Grief. The discomfort that you are feeling is grief. Your irritation at the Simba chips being eaten might be grief. And in this article, they they quote David Kessler. Now, David Kessler is the co-author of the book that spoke about the five stages of loss. And they spoke to David Kessler, asking him questions about lockdown and, and what it does to families and to people. And after reading that article, I sat around the table with our family, with our kids and my wife, and I said to them, listen, I think we need to say to each other, that there's something in your life because of this lockdown period that you might have lost. Let's just share this with each other. The little one, Miko, he's not so little anymore. He's 12 years old. He very quickly said, you know, I'm losing my last year at primary school. I'm in grade seven. I'm supposed to be in the main pack and now I can't even eat a, a Big Mac. And I'm working just on, you know, on computers at home. I'm losing out on, on being a grade seven. Our other son, Andreas, he's 22. He's in his last year, his last full year of studying full-time at university. And he just said, I'm losing out on this last year of having some free time before I have to start working. I'm losing time. I was planning on on." doing my hobbies. I'm, I was planning to spend time with my girlfriend. Nina, our 15-year-old, just said, Daddy, I did not sign up for homeschooling. I miss my friends. Something in, in me, I realized that there's something else that I'm, I'm missing. And David Kessler gave me, gave me a word or a phrase to describe it. He calls it anticipatory loss. You see, what I experienced in, in my being is that I'm anticipating the loss that is still to hit South Africa. I'm anticipating the unemployment. I'm anticipating the loss of livelihoods. And that was part of what was agitating my being. David Kessler makes a further point, and he said that, that we the first generation that has feelings 
about our feelings. So now I was able with my family to articulate my feeling, but then I'm saying that I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling because there's other people that feel worse because they've got different things that are happening to them. And if they're feeling worse, I can't feel that bad. And then I am just confused. But the point is that each and every one of us in this COVID-19 scenario, in the rest of your life, in the years to come, years that, that the history books will write about, we've lost something. There's a sense of suffering. And that is what Peter writes about when he, when he writes in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, when he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Peter is so right. I've experienced it. I've experienced it in my own being. I've experienced it in my house. We will suffer. But as Jesus followers, Christianity gives us a framework. Peter teaches us a way to suffer that will help us, not necessarily always to deal with the pain, but to be able to take good out of that suffering. Now, in order to flip into that, that next point, maybe just to share a little bit about my life. Now, in my story, the first time that I realized what suffering was, when I, when I really felt it in my being, was I was probably about three, four years old. And I remember so clearly we were at, um, at a drive-in movie. Now, many of you that are listening might not know what a drive-through movie is. It means that I'm slightly older than you are. So what we used to do, and being one of five children, that was the only way that we could watch movies, is there was maybe on, on Menland's roof a big, big, big theater screen, probably two or three times the size of an IMAX screen. And what you would do is you would drive to the movies in your car, and you would park there, tune your radio, your own stereo radio, into the channel that would give you the sound for the movie, and you'd be able to watch at least two movies. Now, the drive-in had two great benefits. So if you were dating, that was a great way to go and watch a movie. And the other benefit is that it didn't cost these extortionate amounts just to buy you know, food at the movies. So I remember the very first movie that we ever went, went to see was the movie called Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as a three-, four-year-old little boy, I remember sitting in the car watching these scenes of Jesus being crucified. These, these horrific scenes, and I remember seeing him suffer, and I, and I remember seeing him just struggling with the pain. I remember people hitting him and screaming at him. And I remember crying. And I remember when he died, I knew that he died. My father had taught us that he died for our sin. But I remember when he died, I, I knew that that would be a time for the first time in eternity that he would be removed from the presence of his father. And I put my little four-year-old head under this pillow and I cried. My framework 
for dealing with suffering was guilt and fear. The first experience of suffering just gave me such a sense of guilt and I thought, Jesus, I won't ever be able to repay this debt that you saved me from. Maybe your framework for suffering came from a different place. Maybe you weren't as as lucky as I was to only experience suffering at the age of four or experience suffering projected on a screen far, far away. Maybe you experienced suffering at an early age in your life and maybe very personally. Maybe you lost someone. Maybe someone stole your innocence. Maybe you're fighting an illness. Maybe you are reeling from a broken promise, from, from a divorce. Maybe you're braving abuse. Maybe you're coming to terms with losing someone or something that was just so dear to you. I don't know where you are at this point in your life. But what I know is that whatever suffering you have created a framework in your life, a framework that might be incapacitating you in suffering because that's the way that you now come at suffering. But what Peter wants to teach us today is that God wants to give us a different frame of mind, a different way of suffering. You see, I had to take my frame of dealing, my framework of dealing with suffering, and I had to do something different with it. And if you ask me now, do I still have a framework of guilt and suffering and fear when I think about pain? My answer is no. My answer is no because I know who I am in the identity and the identification with Jesus Christ. Because that movie that I saw, the thing that I saw that Jesus died for me, now I know that he's done something so amazing in my life. He changed my identity and he's changed my identity forever. And he did that through the mechanism of love. Love as a framework of dealing with suffering. And it's not just any love. It's a love that that the Bible refers to as agape love. It is a love that's got many different dimensions, but it is a love that gives without wanting to receive anything. God gives us a framework of love to deal with suffering. There are three dimensions to this love. The the first dimension of this love is that it is truth. It speaks truth in all circumstances. It doesn't sprinkle little Christian dust on something. It speaks truth, and it speaks truth in you and my life that we are sinners. It not only speaks truth, it also speaks justice. And the justice reality is that the only way that we could be saved from the penalty of sin being death was that somebody had to die. And then the the word of love that is spoken is the word of grace. The grace that Jesus Christ came to earth. The grace that Jesus Christ died for you and me and that we are reconciled with him. 
I am a new person. I am a new person because of what Jesus Christ did for me and his love gives me a framework to deal with the suffering that will come my way. And that's what Peter writes about when he writes in 1 Peter 4 verse 13. He says this, Instead, rejoice. Rejoice as you share in the suffering of Christ. Because so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Aren't these amazing words? I mean, this, this phrase is the, the whole framework that Jesus gives us to deal with suffering. He says that you identify with Christ, with what Christ has done for you on the cross, with that, that act of love that will change your identity and your life forever. And as you identify, as you get reconciled to God through what Jesus does, you become aligned with him in everything that you do in this world. You become aligned with his world through your life. The spiritual revolution will start as the kingdom of heaven is established through your life. And as you are walking in your purpose and in the will of God, you know that you will have suffering. Why? Because you become the number one enemy of the number one enemy because you are identifying with Jesus Christ. But what we know out of the scripture, what Peter teaches us, is that that will never result in you being ripped away from that love that freed you in the first instance. Peter promises here in these last words when he says, you will have rejoicing with great joy when his glory is revealed. So it doesn't matter what happens in your life. doesn't matter whether you get hurt. It doesn't even matter if you lose your life, heaven forbid. But even if you lose your life, there is a promise of eternity that is waiting for you and I if we chose Jesus and aligned our lives to him. We will suffer. We will suffer in this world. But the framework of love that Jesus gives us to deal with suffering is the only way that anything good can come from suffering. And I want to take us to, to the next last point, and that is that good can come from suffering. I want to share this last verse with you again from 1 Peter 4. I want to focus on verse 19. Peter writes here and he says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will, in other words, according to God's framework for suffering, entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is Good. What Peter teaches us here is he says, yes, we know that we will suffer. But God is giving us a framework of love to deal with that suffering and understanding that a God that loves us so much that he gave his son for each and every one of our lives, that he will protect us through what is happening. And as we follow in his purpose, that we will know suffering, but his purpose will have good resulting from our suffering. So let me give you again 
Exhibit A. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus that I was exposed to on a big screen years, years, years ago, that Jesus that stands in front of your life today, offering himself in love into your suffering, that Jesus came to earth. He was the one that just said, I see your suffering. I know that because of your sin that you will have to pay the penalty of death. But I want to step into your world. I want to offer myself to you. He was falsely accused. He was persecuted. He was hit. He was crucified. He died. And he knew what would come for him. He knew that his purpose was to suffer. But there was good that came out of that suffering. The good that came out of that suffering is that you have an opportunity to never suffer again in a way that will not result in good. Because he gave his life, you can live forever. You can know this love that will change your suffering into more than just pain, that will change your suffering into good in this world. Good results from suffering. But before you now take this exhibit A of Jesus' life and you go and apply it to exhibit B in your life, I think we need to be very clear here. There's nothing in this scripture that Peter shares with us that that says that, that we can profess to know God's will if it's not revealed by God. We know that it was God's will for Jesus to suffer and die because God said so in his word through his scriptures. But if somebody comes to you and they say, for example, the the most ridiculous thing that I heard one day was somebody coming to a person that had gone through a miscarriage. A Christian person saying to this, this distraught woman that, listen, God's reason for your miscarriage was that he protected you and or your child from suffering or from sin. I mean, if somebody comes to you professing to know of the will of God, you can probably tell them to to go away. But what we do know and what we can glean from the scripture is that when suffering happens, that we can see good results and we can see bad results and we can trust God with the rest. Let me give you exhibit B. My wife, Blader, at the age of 32, lost her husband, her first husband in a car accident. He was 36 and their son was two and a half, Andreas. His his life touched so many people. The horrible, horrible result of his death was that Blader and Andreas was left with shattered lives. People whose lives he touched were just so angry. They were just so horrified. This is a guy that just loved his wife, loved his son, loved life, loved nature. That was a horrible result. A result from that was that years later, Blader and I would meet. Blader and Andreas' pain would, would be nurtured in some way in a relationship with me as my broken promises that I experienced in my life were healed in our relationships. And from that joy, from that relationship, Miko and Nina were joined into a good 
result. I have said so many times to Andreas, I don't know why your father passed away. I don't, I don't know why God this, did this. I can see the bad results. I can see the good results of our relationship. But you know what? I trust God with the rest. I trust God with the rest. I want to close our time together by sharing with you a word that I, that I truly believe God wants to minister into your life and into your household today. I believe that there's a, there's a word of truth that he wants to deposit into your being today. What I want to do is, if you wouldn't mind, if I can invite you to close your eyes as I share this word that I really believe comes from God, straight from his mouth through mine, into the place that you are at the moment. If you, if you would, close your eyes as I share this word from God, I believe, with you. My child, I see you today. Is your framework for suffering resulting in selfishness, self-righteousness, Screaming at your family, hurting your family, drinking too much, spending too much. Peter is inviting you today. He is encouraging you today to adopt God's framework for suffering. This framework does not promise to take away the pain. However, this framework is based on the understanding that love enfolds you in your time of deepest need, your deepest sorrows, your deepest anguish. And understanding that this love has prepared an eternal life for you. Through this framework of suffering, people's lives may change because your life gives them a framework for suffering so that it is different to what they are used to. Your life in this time may bring change to your world. In any other frame of suffering, it is just a sheer waste of time and tears. Will you trust your life? Will you entrust your life, the life of your children, the life of your spouse, and everyone that you care for to me, the faithful creator? And will that trust result in you being able to do good works, works of love, works that changes the world around you? You will find that this trust will override the incapacity that follows loss. This trust will activate you. And when you activate it, your world will change forever. Amen.